Welcome back to the Pregnantish Podcast, where we tell the most modern family stories with guests who stop at nothing in their quest to have a baby. Today's episode is part of our Reality of Infertility series with some of your favorite reality show personalities who show what infertility really looks like. Today's episode is presented by CSP, the Center for Surrogate Parenting. CSP honors the opportunity for everyone to be a parent by making a great match between intended parents and surrogates for a healthy journey and a happy outcome for all. For more, visit creatingfamilies.com. For fans of the hit CBS show Survivor, season 29 runner-up Jacqueline Mish is the definition of bravery. She competed and dominated in challenges that would make many of us bow out or buckle. In some ways, Jacqueline's survivor journey mirrored her journey with her husband, fellow survivor contestant John Mish, as they tried to conceive over the years. Born with MRKH, a condition in which a woman's reproductive system is not fully developed, Jacqueline knew she'd need help to bring a baby into the world, but she didn't expect the tough twists and turns. The reality of infertility is being born with MRKH syndrome without a uterus or a cervix, four rounds of IVF, and two gestational carriers with one miscarriage and one baby on the way. Today, we'll hear about Jacqueline's surrogacy and miscarriage experience, why she's using her voice to spread awareness of MRKH and infertility, and how she's managed to keep hope and resilience alive on and off camera. Jacqueline, we've followed each other for years. I'm so happy to have you now, finally, on the Pregnancy Podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me, finally. Oh my gosh, finally. And the reason we say finally, we're going to get into that after. But part of why we say finally is we were going to have you before you had a really tough twist in your infertility journey, maybe a year or two ago. So this is part of what we want to talk about. But before we go there, of course, this episode is called The Reality of Infertility. And we want to start with the reality show, um, because this is something I will never understand how you were on Survivor, how anyone, I, I've watched that show and I don't think I'd last more than a day. So did you ever think Survivor, I know you were also in the Miss USA competition, like, did you ever think these things would be part of your reality and life? I mean, Honestly, I'm kind of chalking it up to the fact that I was young and I had no idea what I was getting myself into. (laughs) It was like eight years ago um, and it was directly after the Miss USA pageant. But honestly, I felt more like comfortable with no makeup and just like one outfit on a beach than I did competing. It was just kind of more me. I grew up playing sports and I wasn't really in pageantry at all. It was my first pageant. So I don't know. I felt like Survivor was a little bit more me for the people that actually know me. (laughs) (laughs) And what is it like to, can you bring us into that world of Survivor? I've actually hosted TV shows. I know that a lot happens when you're setting up production, but you really literally at times were starving, right? And at times were literally literally trying to survive without much. So tell us, what, what is that like? That's the question that I always get asked. Is it real? And it is 100% real. I lost 30 pounds and I had parasites when I got back to the States. I was on antibiotics. I couldn't keep anything down. I looked just so thin and frail and I was so weak. And it's crazy how your brain also just stops functioning. Like I couldn't think logically like I normally could. So 
I feel like that's kind of the beauty of Survivor is you don't really need to do much in terms of setting up. You just like cast these complete opposite characters and put them on a beach and let it happen. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a hundred percent real, like no shaving, no toothbrush, nothing. And what was like, what was one of the craziest, hardest challenges for you there? Definitely the last one. I mean, I watching it back is like annoying even for me because it's like, why is she running so slow? But it was day 40, like lost 30 pounds. And you know, it was like, feet of you to climb up this oh, this huge staircase and then do a puzzle and I can't even breathe. And then you had to run and jump down this fire pole. And I literally just jumped off the cliff because the fire pole was wood. So it splintered my hands and I just let go. Oh. And my tailbone was just like rocked for months after that. Oh my gosh. I, you know, like this is something that I, cr- we cringe and we hold our breaths watching. So I can only imagine being in that position and yeah. you applied with John, right? So tell us about that because I think um, some people would think you and John met because you were both on Survivor, but you actually yeah. applied together. Yeah. Yeah. So we met actually after college at a bar <laughs> um, and he's the one who encouraged me to enter the Miss Michigan pageant. And so after that year, I was reached out to by a casting producer and it was actually for Amazing Race and it was John and I, and then they filled the cast and they were like, what about Survivor? And we were like, okay, let's try it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. And at that point we haven't watched in so many years. So it was kind of like we were going in blind. <laughs> and how, you know, I, I said during COVID because, you know, I write relationship advice and I give relationship advice a lot um, in my books and media. And I've always said when, when the pandemic hit, None of us expected to spend so much time mm-hmm. <laughs> with our partners. Mm-hmm. And yep. when, when the question was asked, who would you like to be on a desert island with when we were dating? None of us actually thought it would come true. You had right. it come true now twice. <laughs> you had right, it right, on right. the island of Survivor, and then you had it during the pandemic. So no. you guys, how did that affect your relationship? And then we're obviously going to connect Gosh. this to what you've been through since. Yeah, honestly, they say that that show will either make or break a couple. And there's only been a couple seasons where there's couples on the show, but it made us so much stronger, I think, because we saw each other at our absolute weakest, socially, physically, mentally, just we had nothing. And it also got, you know, spiritual being out there in a way, because you're just like under the stars, like this is how people used to live. And you really, you know, we connected and he would like, you know, give me a piece of crab that he found and I'd like give him half my rice. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you need this more than me. You know what I saw? And yeah. I was like searching around on YouTube looking for clips of the show. And I saw oh. the challenge where you're, you're holding onto this pole and, and then Jeff Probst walks by with um, like chocolate and cookies oh, or yes. something. Yeah, I mean, I would have jumped off within <laughs> five seconds, but you held on for a really long I time. Did. did you break I at did. the chocolate chip cookies? I think I did. I did. I did. <laughs> did I just it? dropped the freaking paddle ball or whatever it was. I was like <laughs> shaking. Like you can only hold it for so long. <laughs> See, this is just nuts. But but John also went through these challenges with you. One last question, then I'll get off Survivor. But I need to know. You yeah, can't yeah, even brush yeah. your teeth there. Nope. Nothing. Not even brush your teeth. Nothing. So it's but it's funny. Yeah. So we went to the, the hygienist after and our teeth were surprisingly clean because you don't eat anything. So it's <laughs> like you're not putting like sugar or anything in your mouth. It was wild. I didn't even think about that. The best new dental technique is to just. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> okay. <rice>. So, <laughs> so when you applied, so when you went on the Miss USA Michigan um, pageant and mm-hmm. you 
applied for survivor, or you got cast, I guess, for survivor. When did you start talking about your MRKH diagnosis? Because I definitely want to talk about what that is and when you first came out with that. So it was in 2012 was when I won Miss Michigan. And it was about a month after that. And I remember getting a message from a woman and it was very snarky. And she's like, oh, great. You just get to be pretty for a year and get free things. And I was like, so mad at that comment. And I'm like, John, what if I just came out with having like my syndrome? Like I have this. What if I just talked about it? And he's like, do it. I'm like, this is terrifying though, because then everyone's going to know that I don't have a uterus, a cervix. And I was born with, you know, a shorter vaginal canal. And that's so scary to put out there. And he was like, just own it, just do it. And so that was my first interview was on a local ABC station in Detroit. And I remember when it came out, I was just devastated because the title was Miss Michigan born without a uterus. And I was like, (sighs) oh my God, this is happening. Oh my goodness. And I remember I left work, I was crying and I was just like, what did I do? And then everything positive came back. They were like, people, you know, had a great response. They were like, this is so brave of you. This is great. And I was like, okay, this isn't so scary. People don't think I'm, you know, weird or different. It's just, it's okay. And I felt really free after that. So then it just kind of kept going. I think we can mirror that experience you had, and that must have been so vulnerable, as you're saying, but we can mirror that to coming out with any medical issue people don't see. So infertility included, you know, it's, it's uh, for me too, when I came out as infertile, I had given sex and dating advice for years, which is so much sexier than wearing the the barren title. You know? yeah. Like, yeah. I cannot conceive very easily. Um, but I know you've mentioned you were one of the first public personalities, right, to come out talking about this. Yeah, and I just, I knew that if there were new gr- new girls that were just diagnosed, how great it would be to have anyone, you know, to look up to, to look at, to say, oh, you're okay, like, So I just, I had to do that. And there's been so many women since then. I mean, we didn't have social media back then when I was diagnosed. I was, it was in 2002, I think. So, I mean. How old were you when you were diagnosed? I was 16. I never had a period, but like I said, I was athletic. I was tall and thin. So we thought that that was why, but yeah, we went to the doctor and I had to go through three different gynecologists and then finally a specialist at University of Michigan to finally diagnose me because that's another thing is that a lot of women go undiagnosed and never know the name of this. Um, I've had women after Survivor even message me and say, you know, I'm 65 years old and I finally know the name of what my syndrome is, which is just crazy. That is crazy. And that's an issue we all have in women's health in general. You know, endometriosis is one of my one of the issues I couldn't easily conceive. And most women aren't diagnosed for something like seven or eight years. I mean, so these are all things we have to talk about. So more women hear it. That's our hope with the Pregnancy Podcast too. More people hear it and understand that we have to be our own advocate. But coming out with that now, so actually on the Pregnancy Podcast, we featured people with MRKH. Um, and so I think what you did was really elevate that conversation. Now, did you ever consider it? I know there's probably different schools of thought here, but did you consider yourself infertile at that point or you didn't even look at that as connected? You know, I did it could, because it was always, I can't have a baby. So when I was dating and I remember when I first met John, it was this big breakdown after a month, like, I can't have kids. You can't love me. Like it was, you know, scary and vulnerable. And how does he feel about that? You know? 
So I, I did, I guess I didn't really use the word infertile. It was just always like, I'm missing parts of like my womanhood that I literally can't have kids. <laughs> but that was like a little bit later down the road. The first part was just being able to have sex. Like I couldn't even do that without dilating or having reconstructive surgery. And so I chose to dilate, but mm-hmm. it, yeah, there's so many f- layers to it. There's so many layers. And I think people don't realize that these medical issues become relationship issues For sure. uh, because, because of exactly what you're saying. It's so vulnerable to say to someone, we also had on the podcast, Kelly McClay, who went through menopause in her twenties, was wow. super athletic. She's a marathon ro- runner. And that's not why she became infertile. She always, she was born this way. It's hormonal. It's, we know it's a disease, uh, but she had that vulnerable conversation. And just like you and John, her husband, now husband, accepted her and encouraged her to keep speaking. And it sounds like John did the same for you with coming out with your diagnosis. Yeah, for sure. He's always been, you know, kind of my advocate in the back end. So I'm grateful for that. That is amazing. Not all guys are like that. No, no. We weeded out the bad ones, I guess, in the beginning, though. Oh my goodness! In in your short years on Earth, think about how much you guys have been through together. It's it's really a testament to the strength of your relationship. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about that because what did you imagine your family building journey to look like? Did you and John always know you wanted to have kids, and what did you? think it would be and then tell us what what it has been. So we we always knew we wanted to try IVF. Once we found out that I had ovaries and they were functioning normally, my hormone levels were normal, we were like, "Yes, let's try IVF, you know, we'll f- worry about a surrogate later, who will carry." So we did our first round in 2016, and I thought it was just going to be easy and we were going to get a normal embryo and put it in a carrier and we would have a baby. And, you know, maybe twins because that's what you hear a lot and it's just was the complete opposite. So we ended up, you know, we had our fourth round of IVF last Easter. We're in our second gestational carrier. Last Christmas is when we had our 20-week miscarriage with the same carrier. So three transfers failed. And then our second carrier is actually John's cousin. And so she carried Harper, who was our miscarriage. And now we're pregnant again. Wow, what a journey. I, you know, as someone who had my baby via gestational surrogacy as well, I know there's nothing easy about that process. I mean, if, you know, if that's all you were dealing with, that alone is overwhelming. Yeah. So John's cousin stepped in to be your gestational carrier. Then you had this devastating, and that's Jacqueline. I think that's when we originally connected because you were going to come on this podcast, talk about how you were finally pregnant. Yep. And I thought this was it, you know, we, we had made it so far and, you know, it was her, our first transfer with her and, you know, we're at, we got the heartbeat, everything's good. We're going to our anatomy scan 20 weeks and that stupid Doppler came out and I'd never seen it before because we had done ultrasounds up until that point. And our OB was like, I could just tell. And John's cousin said she knew too. And I'm like, Oh, it's fine. And I'm texting John. He's downstairs at the office. And he's like, I was like, they're looking for the heartbeat. And at that time it didn't register that something was wrong to me. And he goes looking question mark. And then they brought in the ultrasound and I was like, get up here. And he flew up the stairs and it was COVID times. And he was like, I'm going back there. Like, I don't care. And then that's when they confirmed on the ultra or on the, yeah, on the ultrasound, there was no heartbeat and we were just numb. And then, you know, then at that point, ROB's like, what do you do? Um, what, what do you choose to do? You know, do you want to have a DNC or do you want to deliver? 
So she gave us a couple hours, you know, to think about it. And then our carrier was like, I would like to deliver. They can get us in that Friday night. So we went that Friday night and they induced labor and it was just, gosh, it was so awful because that Sunday was supposed to be our gender reveal. So it was like, I was planning a gender reveal and now all of a sudden I'm dealing with how, what to do with, you know, Harper's body and the funeral home. And I was just, oh my gosh, in those two days before Christmas, <laughs> it was just the worst. So I've dropped off the face of the earth for three months. I was just, you know, trying to be okay. <laughs> I remember my heart was breaking for you because I followed along. You were very publicly sharing your journey, which uh, we all were excited and rooting along with you. Finally, Jacqueline's having this baby with this great carrier. Gender reveals coming, stay tuned. And then everything went dark. And I just will tell you that my heart, just having so many setbacks on my journey as well, when you're publicly sharing along the way and that happens. So how did you, how did you, deal with that. It took me, I mean, like it took me so long to even find the words, but I remember I sat down and I was like, God, just give me the words to say. And I just, it just came to me like talking about a heartbeat, like the simple fact that our heart beats and we subconsciously breathe and we don't even know it. And taking that for granted every day. Like, I feel like Harper taught me this lesson where, you know, not everyone gets to live. And I, it was hard, you know, it's hard to talk about it. It's gotten easier. I feel like 2021 was my year of healing and you know, writing posts and healing that way and connecting with other women that have also gone through loss at that stage. I mean, you think everything's fine, but you just, you never know, which is the scary part. It's so scary. I'm so jealous. I've talked about this so much on Pregnantish, but I, I'm so jealous of people who have a bump and like mm-hmm. have no, no baggage behind the bump where they're like sharing and they're, and it's, and up until my daughter was born via gestational surrogate, I kept saying, I think I'm having a baby. Yes. <laughs> People were like, you're yes. having a baby. Like, why do you say yeah. I think? But I feel you that can't, way. Right. You can't yeah. say it like some people can say it. For sure. And I, I mean, even it was 20 weeks now, we're, we're 28 weeks yesterday with this pregnancy. So we're in the third trimester. But even now, I mean, it took me up until 20 weeks to buy anything. I was like, I'm not buying anything. And even now I'm like, is this happening? Is this really happening? And even this morning I was in the shower and I was like, is this really happening? Like, is there going to be a baby here? (laughs) And pretty soon. I mean, this is the reality of infertility for sure. So, so when with Harper, what's, it sounds like Harper taught you a lot, like you said about uh, life and the heartbeat yeah. and the importance of that. But do you connect with Harper all the time now? Like what's your, what's your, cause I think a lot of our listeners can really connect with you through, through this devastating chapter. And I would love to hear more about that. And then of course, uh, talk about what's, what's to come. Yeah. It felt like when we got pregnant with this baby that I was letting go of her almost. Like I felt like the chapter was closing on her and I had to get excited about a new baby. And that felt really weird because I was so, you know, attached to her and in love with what she would have been in her spirit. And I feel like at, at first she sent me messages all the time. Like I ordered scrubs for John and I never used this shipped app, but I was tracking it and it, it, it was, the package was in Harper, Kansas. And I was like, how is that possible? Who I've never heard of Harper, Kansas. Yeah, like I didn't even know that was the name of the city. And then I looked and there's right. only five cities named Harper between California and Michigan. 
And I'm like, what are the ads? At that very time I looked and that's where the package was. It was just so bizarre. And then I had a girl message me and she's like, my grandparents live right by Harper, Kansas. And that's the smallest town ever. And I was like, that's crazy. But I just feel like she is her own soul and her own person. And now I'm, I'm being attached to this new baby that I'm not even carrying. So it's, it's hard. It's like letting go, but moving on. Yeah. And that's the, that's the, the confusing thing about holding two seemingly conflicting emotions at once, which we can do as humans, yeah. right? We can be sad and overjoyed and grief-filled and grateful. Like these things yeah. can coexist. And I think it's so hard to remember that at times without the guilt that right. we feel exactly. for that. But I think another thing that's not known, especially when we're in the surrogate relationship, is that we're all grieving. So it's not just, and we yeah. we had a grief specialist um, on as well to talk about this. Like, it's not just you, Jacqueline, or me, Andrea, grieving the loss of your baby. It's the carrier. It's your partner. It's your family. It's her yep. family. So yep. how did they deal with that? Oh, gosh. I mean, we all went to the cemetery. We chose to bury her body, and it was her and her husband, um, my parents, John's mom, and we were just like, what happened? You know, like everyone was just like wanting answers and we never got them. Everything, every test was normal. So, you know, they thought that it was maybe something with her heart and development at a later stage, but it's definitely multifaceted and, and the choice for her to do it again was <laughs> incredible. And something she said right away, like we were literally walking out of the OB after we found out about Harper and she's like, we're doing it again. It's not over. It's amazing that Jacqueline's gestational carrier said that as they were walking out. As someone who was an intended parent, just like Jacqueline, and needed the help of a carrier to meet my baby, I am forever grateful to surrogacy. And this is why I'm happy to have the support of CSP, the Center for Surrogate Parenting, who sponsored this episode. CSP has a great legacy as the most experienced and longest standing surrogacy agency in the world. For over 40 years, they have matched thousands of intended parents and surrogates to ensure a healthy journey and a happy outcome for all, making them an agency with great and deeply rooted commitments to this community. The agency screens surrogates first and lets them choose their intended parents, making the process more seamless and organic, and their dedicated case managers and counselors skillfully guide the journey and address any issues with open, kind communication. For both IPs and surrogates, CSP believes in fostering hope, community, advocacy. They know that these ingredients make the surrogacy experience and journey successful for all. If you're thinking about being a surrogate or you're potentially looking for one, contact creatingfamilies.com for a free consultation with them today. And now back to Jacqueline and her journey to baby with her gestational carrier. Were you nervous to use her again? As generous as she is and was, was there a moment of pause with that? Because I think that's another confusing aspect of surrogacy that our audience is navigating. Yeah, I think it's, for me, it's so, it was so hard to let go of, you know, the shots and the daily things and, you know, what she's eating and making sure that she's being healthy and making sure she's sleeping. And even now, like, she's a periodontist. So she's in, has like 10 surgeries a day and I'm following her around. I'm assisting and I'm like, did you drink water? Did you do this? But it's also, I feel like an art of letting go and just letting 
whatever is going to happen, happen because, you know, it's going to happen anyway. That's so. right. I remember at the vi- the first chapter of that reality of infertility, I thought I'd like suggest what she should eat and like yoga and what. And then by the third, by the time my cousin came in and she said, do you mind if I drink fruit punch? I was like, ha, I don't care what you do. Do whatever you need to do. Because guess what? I can't control this. And I either, I have to trust. I just have to surrender. And surrendering is part of infertility, right? Not just surrogacy, but surrender uh, almost has to be like plastered on us during this, this process. For sure. I mean, I, I let go of a lot of like I've, I thought I would be like, oh, maybe you should eat this and I'd be making your food every day. But it's just not like that because you don't want to like impose or step on her toes. You know, it's this new relationship. And even kind of we're discovering me feeling her belly now and getting more comfortable with that. And she's like, talk to my belly. And I'm like, what do I say? Like, <laughs> like is can the baby hear me? <laughs> yeah. And the baby at this point, I think, can hear you. Yeah. Um, so yeah. that's that's really special. So let's talk about this baby. How much are you allowing yourself to connect with this baby? You're, you're a mama. You're like, this is coming. Oh, How? I know. I know it's so hard to it's so hard to bring in and surrender to that. But how are you connecting now? I feel like it's hard because we don't know the gender. So I'm always like, what are you? I think it's a boy in my head, but I feel like, you know, we never got this far with Harper. So being able to feel the baby kick a couple times, and then I saw it the other day, like kind of kick out of her stomach was really cool. I feel like preparing the house has been helping me, like getting the nursery ready. And then also I'm inducing lactation. So that starts next week. We're 10 weeks out. So I'm going to pump and see, I'm working with a lactation consultant. So I feel like once that starts, I'll feel more like my body is getting ready a little bit to contribute in some way. So that might help me with connecting too. Wow. That's awesome. I was worried. I think a hard thing to admit with surrogacy I was worried I wouldn't feel connected to Ariel when when my yeah. cousin delivered her, and that's a real that's a really hard thing to admit because it yeah. my biological baby, your biological baby, but not carrying it created all this vulnerability for yeah. people like us, right? And for sure, the minute she took her first breath, not only was she yeah. legally in my custody, but oh my gosh, she was our daughter. There was no oh there was no worry about that. So I'm this is so I'm, encouraging to hear. Because I am terrified that, you know, the baby is going to come out and, you know, go on my chest and I'm going to be like, who are you? Do you like me? And what if it cries? And I'm like, and then she holds it and it doesn't cry. And you know what you realize? And Jacqueline, like we've, we've talked a lot on Pregnish about adoption as well. What you start, what you start to realize and also third party, uh, reproduction, which is egg donor, sperm donor, the same fears come up. I'm not genetic. I'm delivering the baby, but I'm not genetically related. Am I going to feel a connection? So from all sides, that's a reality too. But I think what what has been comforting to me, and I want to impart this to you, is you start to realize when you parent that even though this, this is a really important part, you know, of the process, but it's a minuscule part of the life you're going to have with your child. Oh, that's so good to hear. <laughs> it's like, it is, it, it's like you, not that you'll ever forget it. It'll always be part of her identity and your identity. But in the grand scheme of your parenting and your life and your love for your, your child, oh my goodness, this is, this is just a blip. So just to remember that, that you have like this whole life you're building with your family now, and this just kicks it off in this beautiful way. That's amazing to hear. Thank you for that. 
I, if people were, were telling me that too, about, you know, how this is, this is quick and, you know, you have your whole life to love this baby. So I keep reminding myself of that, you know, like I don't have the bump and I don't get to feel the kicks and John doesn't get to experience that with me, but it's worth it. I think, I think it'll be worth it. I'm sure it'll be worth it. (laughs) I think for sure. Uh, But, but you know what, with you and John, I mean, I know we've talked about how you've pushed through, but can you talk about your hardest moments together, navigating this and how you push through? Because I think, Again, we don't know. We don't know until we're in certain situations how we're going to deal with it. Yeah. I mean, for us, it was so we went back to church and not in a religious way because we were both raised Catholic, but we're not Catholic. You know, we just, we go to a Christian church now, we read the Bible and we had to connect to a higher power, I think, and ground ourselves in that in our marriage because without that, we were kind of flourishing on worldly things. And I think to live for eternal life and not for humanly life is it makes you live a better humanly life. So I think that having that grounding really anchored us. And we started that up again about a year ago and it's just really helped us become stronger and rooted in that. That's really nice to hear. I think we have to connect. And for some people, it's not um, religion or spirituality. It's connecting with a counselor, connecting with a best friend, connecting with a family member who understands. But that line of connection And I'll keep saying it for anyone grieving, not just with infertility. Anytime there's grief and you're experiencing it with a partner, to have an outlet that's not your partner is critical. For sure. I mean, yeah, we were going to a marriage counselor. He was a pastor, but he specialized in marriage and relationship building and grief. So we were doing that once a week. And he, he forewarned us. He's like, you know, John might move on quicker than you. And you're going to be mad. And I was because he was going back to school and to work and he was fine. And I was laying on the couch crying still. That's a rehab. That's a, that's a crazy part of grief too. You don't do it on the same schedule. Exactly. And so I had to realize it's not that he loved Harper less and it didn't impact him any less. It's just that he's dealing with it differently. So I think that the grief process, you know, we learned how to do it together and there were fights and, (laughs) I was mad at him and he was mad at me for not, you know, getting up and working and being productive. And I'm like, I can't, nothing matters. Like, I don't care. So yeah, like you said, having that outlet and anyone, any religion, any counselor, anybody. Anybody, just someone not to bottle it up inside. Did John have outlets outside of the church or the marriage counselor, like friends or family he could connect with? Yeah, So that helped a lot too. one of his friends and, you know, the people that he's with every day, they all knew. So I feel like having everyone around us that knew also helped because it wasn't like we were hiding the secret and they kind of knew what we were walking with, you know, while we were also trying to walk him back into normal life. And also digitally people knew. So after you shared it, what was that response like and how did that help you? And how at times did you need to create boundaries too? I mean, that's a reality of social media that's that unless you're really in it, you don't understand that not everything's open for business all the time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that I set pretty good boundaries just maybe in the way that I I talked about it. But if anyone were to say anything negative, I would just, I block them. That's kind of like my rule. And I feel like that's how it goes for parenting too. Like if someone says something, my kids probably just like, nope, no time. I'm not playing. (laughs) But the response after Harper was honestly one of 
the biggest things that got me through it as well, knowing that I wasn't alone and that this has happened to multiple people. I mean, I was stalking accounts that had also had 20 week after, you know, losses just to know that, you know, it's not, it, you know, it just had happens and some people still don't know why. So it made me feel good that I wasn't the only one that had this happen via surrogate or just not via surrogate. So you've been through so much and I, I guess, you know, one thing I ask all the reality uh, stars on the show is how did it, well, this is just something that I think it's interesting to think about. How was your survivor experience, not how did it prepare you necessarily, but what was similar about that and then this experience? Perseverance, for sure. I think that you're so right. They did mirror each other. They were, you know, I was at my weakest but I still had hope for what was to come, even though I didn't know what that future looked like. I still had hope in it, which I think is, you know, the foundation of humanity. Like we still have to have hope to keep going no matter what. And I know it's hard, but you know, your life isn't over because your heart's still beating. I think perseverance is the biggest thing, but you know, we did get to the point where if this transfer didn't work, were we going to go another way or not try again? And I don't like the word give up. But I think with this, unlike Survivor, like, well, I guess you could quit Survivor. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just going a different avenue. That, mm. That's a possibility still. I mean, who knows? Well, I, you know, I really am cheering you on. I'm hopeful for you. Sometimes other people need to hold the space. One of my friends, I just want to share that one of my friends said that to me when I said, I think I'm meeting my daughter. She's like, yeah. your due date's in two weeks. Oh my She's, God. And then we decided <sighs> she will hold the space for me because I can't. I can't say for sure, but she knew for sure. And she said, I'm holding it and I'm celebrating it and I'm doing everything that I get. I get that you cannot now, but, but I am cheering. And so I'm going to hold that for you along with our community. Thank you. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, thank you for being on the Pregnant Podcast. Finally, we, we are going to follow along. Where can people find you? Uh, my Instagram name is at Jacqueline Mish. It's pretty easy. But thank you so much. I, I love talking to you. I feel like I could talk to you all day about all of this. Oh, we can. <laughs> <laughs> I have no doubt. Like you have done so much for this community. Like, such a blessing. Oh, that means so much. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening to another episode of the Pregnantish Podcast, where we interview extraordinary people about their extraordinary past. Stay tuned for more Reality of Infertility episodes. Until next time.